Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, the 24th of May, and in this episode, we're going to learn more about the biggest success story of this election, the Teal Independents. Now, this is the label given to a group of independent candidates who are mostly women from very impressive professional careers. They won in wealthy seats that have traditionally been safe liberal seats. Now, many election watchers thought one, two, maybe three of them would get up, but there were six. So in this episode of The Briefing, you're going to meet one of them. It's Kylie Tink from the seat of North Sydney. We truly are people that were approached by other people in our community, asked to run to give voice to the concerns that were most important to the people that live around us. Faster action on climate, bringing integrity into politics, looking at how our economy is geared and addressing systemic inequality. That's Kylie Tink, our guest in today's briefing, and we're going to ask... How much power will these independents actually have over the Albanese government? First, Katrina Blouse is here for today's headlines. It has been a busy first day in the job for the new PM, Anthony Albanese. He took a call from US President Joe Biden and yesterday morning was sworn in by the Governor-General. I, Anthony Norman Albanese, do solemnly and sincerely affirm and declare that I will well and truly serve the Commonwealth of Australia. So right after that, he boarded a plane with the newly sworn in Foreign Minister Penny Wong to attend talks in Japan. And then on the plane, he had a half hour phone call with the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Today in Japan, Albanese and Wong will meet with US President Joe Biden, the Indian Prime Minister and the Japanese Prime Minister in Tokyo today for what's called the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue. The Quad is showing the world that cooperation among democracies can get big things done. So Australia is expected to sign up to a new US-led Asia-Pacific economic bloc aimed at countering Chinese regional dominance. So he's hit the big time pretty quickly, hasn't he, Katrina? Yeah, he sure has. Uh, The other thing that they've already done is uh, Penny Wong has told the Pacific nations that they'll be working with them to address climate change. And votes are still being counted with the Australian Labor Party edging closer to the 76 seats required to secure a majority in the House of Representatives. The Australian Electoral Commission has Labor leading in 75 seats after former Treasurer Josh Frydenberg conceded defeat yesterday to Teal Independent Monique Ryan. To the people of Kuyong, I say thank you. I now look forward to spending more time with my beautiful family. Liberal Dave Sharma also conceded to Teal Independent Allegra Spender yesterday. Ben Long and Richmond in New South Wales and McNamara in Victoria were also claimed by the Labor Party yesterday. Yeah, and as we'll discuss in our briefing, whether Labor gets a a majority in its own right or not will have a big impact on how much power this huge group of Teal Independents will actually have in the House of Representatives. We'll speak to Kylie Tink. The Liberal leadership race appears to be narrowing down to one person, Peter Dutton. Yeah, Dutton could be the only candidate in the race now because Karen Andrews and Angus Taylor have indicated they'll consider nominating for deputy leader. Now, one person that won't be impressed with the Dutton-led Liberal Party is the man who had a hand in their drubbing in WA, the Premier Mark McGowan. He's an extremist. He's an extremist. And uh, I don't think he fits with modern Australia at all. And he doesn't seem to listen. He's extremely conservative. Uh, I, I actually don't think he's that smart. 
Wow, yeah. an attack on all fronts. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty heavy language. I guess McGowan was feeling like he was on pretty safe ground for that spray, given the Liberal Party vote went backwards by 10% in WA mm. and they lost five seats. A very high-profile witness in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial, supermodel Kate Moss is now expected to take the stand after Heard mentioned Moss's name in testimony. Yeah, so this speculation about Kate Moss comes after a moment in court a few weeks ago where Amber Heard was talking about an alleged fight on a staircase where she claimed Depp pushed her sister. And here's the moment where she told the court that this was what came to her mind. Kate Moss and the stairs. She was referencing a rumour there that Depp once pushed Moss down a flight of stairs, a rumour that's never been substantiated. Depp and his lawyers appeared to celebrate when Heard mentioned Moss because it could actually work against Heard with Moss taking the stand. Uh, it's understood that Moss and Depp have a great relationship. They dated in the mid-90s. It was a bit of a tumultuous relationship at the time with Depp trashing hotel rooms and things like that, but they remain very good friends. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you next week. I'm about to go deep with Kylie Tink, who is one of the new Teal Independents, although, as you're about to hear, she says she's a pink independent. She has won the seat of North Sydney. So-called Teal Independents. Beware of fake independence. Action on climate change. They're labour in disguise. A teal wave of independence sweeping the nation with massive gains in Sydney and Melbourne. When we look at these results across electorates like mine, there will be clearly lessons for the Liberal Party. Our government wasn't listening to us, so we've changed the government. So there you go, the Teal Independents. They've generated headline after headline throughout the whole election campaign. Probably the biggest headlines came on election night itself. I was actually one of the people who didn't expect them to take this many seats. They won six new seats. So let's go through them. There was Dr. Monique Ryan, who won Josh Frydenberg's seat in Kooyong, that's in Melbourne. Allegra Spender, businesswoman in Wentworth in Sydney. Uh, Dr. Sophie Scomps, a doctor who won McKellar on Sydney's Northern Beaches. Zoe Daniel, a former ABC Coro, who won Tim Wilson's seat of Goldstein in Melbourne. Kate Cheney, a business analyst who won Curtin in Perth, plus Kylie Tink in North Sydney, who you're about to meet. On top of that list of six, there was already Zali Stegall, who's been re-elected, along with Helen Haynes in Indi and Rebecca Sharkey in Mayo. There was also Di Lee, who is a local independent who won in Fowler in Western Sydney. So all up, that's 10 independent women, all of them, perhaps with the exception of Di Lee, have very progressive politics. They're all sitting on a huge crossbench, so they could have a big impact depending on the balance of power. Let's get into our interview with Kylie Tink. She was a senior business executive, also worked in charity. She spent six years as the CEO of the McGrath Foundation, which is the cancer charity started by Glenn McGrath, the cricketer, after his wife, Jane, passed away. Kylie, thank you so much for joining us. So have the Teals been way more successful than you expected? I'm actually pink, so (laughs) we've ended up with this title of the Teal Independent Movement. I can't actually speak for it as a movement because my whole focus the entire time has been on the seat of North Sydney. And I think that when you look at all of us, you would find that is a very consistent issue across the independents. We truly are people that were approached by other people in our community, asked to run, to give voice to the concerns that were most important to the people that live around us, you know, faster action on climate, 
bringing integrity into politics, looking at how our economy is geared and addressing systemic inequality. So I think all of us are incredibly excited by the outcome and very, very respectful of each other. And I think it is a a new era in Australian politics. One of the things I find interesting is that the policy areas you're talking about, and you just talked about climate and integrity, they're directly in line with the Labor Party policy platform, but Labor wouldn't have been able to do what you guys have done in these traditional wealthy liberal seats. So it seems it's maybe not so much about the policy, but more about the backgrounds that each of you women bring as individuals. I mean, what's your take on that? Why do you think you've been able to do what you've done, but the Labor candidates haven't over the years? I won because I listened to my community and moved to meet my community on the things that they wanted to see. People aren't satisfied with the Labor plan. They're not satisfied that the targets are ambitious enough, that the proposals are strong enough, that there is enough of a re-gearing of the economy. So I think in some ways there has been this general casting, you know, of people like myself as being successful because we ran against an unpopular Liberal Party. I actually reject that because I think what happened is we saw people like myself stand fundamentally against both parties. And I think it's really Really important that the Labor Party also recognise that this is a very clear message to them that while they may be moving in the right direction, there's still not enough. And they will find with people from myself on the crossbench that I'll be asking for more. But does it really come down to you being more ambitious on climate policy or is it more about the Labor Party as a whole and what they represent and why that doesn't necessarily appeal to the kind of people that live in these wealthier seats? No, I I don't think so because I do think this was a rejection of the Labor policy and the Labor mandate and it was really a response, people saying we want to see politics done differently. The House of Representatives needs to have representatives of the communities that send them there and there will continue to be a challenge in politics in the next two years in a system where parties see themselves as being bigger than the people they were created to serve. From my perspective, this is a reversion to our original model of democracy, which was communities were given the right to send an individual to Canberra to represent them. And that's what I'm most excited about in terms of going forward. So when the Liberals and the right-wing commentators are out trying to slam this new group of independents, they call you the fake independents. They often cite the fact that you are only running against sitting Liberals and not trying to take out any Labor MPs. Why was that the case? And does that mean that you're anti-liberal and pro-labor? Yeah, no, definitely. It doesn't mean I'm anti-liberal and pro-labor. What it means is that for me, in my seat, the person who had the power represented a party who was in government and wasn't listening. And I think that's why I take it back to the point we were just talking about. If the Labor Party and Labor government do not take note of what happened during this election, I'm really confident you will see people like myself stand again in three years' time to challenge Labor members because in this particular situation, it made sense because we've had a government that was had been in place for three terms. This is a very clear message to the structure of politics in Australia. It needs to be reset so that the party looks to the people that they're meant to represent, not just their own internal politicking. So the other criticism is that the Climate 200 organisation, which provided funding to a lot of the independents, 
is essentially an undercover political party. So is there some truth to that argument that you are maybe not a political party, but quite similar given you drew on the same donation sources, you used similar marketing and policy tactics? Well, no, there's there's absolutely no truth, as you said, that there's any sort of party structure here. This is about the rise of politics from a community grassroots level. And in fact, I, I think the similarities, again, are something for both the major parties in the political system to take on board as actually feedback for themselves. Because the reason there are similarities is that these are the same issues across multiple communities that multiple communities are dissatisfied with. In terms of um, the funding behind my own campaign, the majority of the donations that drove this campaign came from the electorate and the most common donation we received consistently was only $100. I think it's been really interesting to see the emphasis that's been placed on one particular funding source or channel, which is Climate 200. I think that that has oftentimes served as the boogeyman in this scenario for the major parties in trying to counter myself and other independents as rising. But the truth of the matter is they were only one of, in my case, thousands of people that donated to get an independent up in the seat of North Sydney. So what percentage of your total donations came from Climate 200? It was around about 35 to 40%. Pretty substantial. Oh, well, yeah. I I guess, you know, in the background, though, my understanding is that Climate 200 had over 12,500 donors themselves. So, if I add those 12,500 into then the 1,000 I've got, we're now talking about over 14,000 people who gave to this campaign. It seems that gender really played a role in this election. All of the so-called teal independents are women. Then of the 16 seats that the Liberals lost, 15 were taken by women. There's been a huge amount of criticism on Scott Morrison's attitude towards women from the treatment of individuals like Julia Banks and Christine Holgate, the former head of Australia Post, the lack of empathy, the questionable reviews into the Brittany Higgins issue, not listening to the Women's March, underrepresentation of women in the coalition in the overall party, but also the cabinet. Do you think the coalition's treatment of women and Scott Morrison in particular was a big factor in driving voters to you and other female teals? I think the way that politics has worked around women was a big factor in driving people to support people like myself. I do agree in that scenario. You know, the reality is that at the very minimum, our parliament should reflect the fact that we're 50% male and 50% female in this society. In fact, in an ideal scenario, our parliament should look like our community. I really do want to see politics be reopened so that more people, people just like me and just like you and people who are listening to this podcast can actually have that opportunity to go in and speak for their communities when the time is right. So what happens for you independents if you don't have the balance of power? We're still waiting for the final numbers to come in, but there's a good chance that Labor will be able to govern with a majority and won't necessarily need your votes to get legislation passed in the lower house. If that is the case... Could this all be a bit overblown? Could you actually not have much power in the chamber? Oh, no, I think definitely North Sydney has already won. Regardless of outcome in this next election, what we're going to see is more conversation and debate being brought back into the House of Parliament and actually a re-engaging and a re-empowering 
of the parliament, the parliamentary system in this country. You know, I think what's been fascinating is watching the wrap-up of this election. There's been so much talk about how men lost their seats, but there's very little focus on how women and communities actually won them. So, I feel incredibly positive about what the next three years is going to look like and the three years beyond that and the three years beyond that. And I think that's the final piece I would say is that I consistently heard from the people of North Sydney, they're just tired of it being a battle for who can be in power. It's not about power and control. It should be about the long-term vision and strategy for our country. And that's the sort of leadership that people are looking for. Okay. You said there that the the people of North Sydney have already won because you'll be able to get up in the chamber and talk, speak, um, generate debate. But that's all hot air, isn't it, compared to having actual power over legislation? Like voting is the most important thing you can do in the chamber. And if you don't have the balance of power, what good is all that talking, speaking and debating going to do? The reality is that we've seen many things achieved without a balance of power. You know, I think a great example of it was when there was movement by the Liberal government to actually sell the snowy hydro. So on your basis and and the assumption you just proposed in that Mm. perspective, in that time, the government had the balance of power. They were ready to go with the decision. And the people that stopped that decision going through were the independents on the crossbench that made sure that the communities understood what was at stake. And then they they advocated and fed back into the parliamentary system that this was not going to be acceptable to the people that they were representing. So that's why I absolutely believe that bringing conversation and debate back into the parliamentary environment is absolutely pivotal. And I did hear during one of the debates between Prime Minister Albanese and outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison, one of the criticisms that Albanese made of Scott Morrison was that he had not allowed debate in the chamber. Mm. He actually said, you've not allowed us to debate anything. Now, I would expect, given he's on record as having provided that as a criticism to the outgoing PM, that is, he as an incoming PM will actually encourage that level of discussion and debate in the House of Reps. And I think that's a positive development for our democracy. That was Kylie Tink, who's the new MP for North Sydney. She got in thanks to preferences from Labor, which allowed her to unseat Liberal MP Trent Zimmerman. Now, as I was hinting at with some of my questions towards the end there about the balance of power, the amount of real power that this big group of independents will have will depend on how the final numbers fall, because if Labor do get to 76 seats, they won't need them every time they want to get legislation through the House of Reps. But I think Kylie's answer does hold some truth, that even without holding that balance of power, they'll still have a very strong voice. And just their success at the ballot box alone sends a very clear message that their concerns, some of which have been written off as, you know, just the concerns of out-of-touch, wealthy inner-city elites, actually can't be ignored by the major parties. And tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to find out what's happening with the Sri Lankan family who want to go home to Biloela and were promised they could if Labor got into government. Listener.